You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon Testimonies from Reverts and Converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Before we get to this week's guest, I want to remind you to subscribe. Just launched a podcast, so if you find this episode via podcast, please leave a review. I would greatly appreciate it. We've uploaded, I think, 27 episodes all at once, and we're just, we want to get the word out and invite other people, if they have any Catholic testimony to share, to reach out to me. So this week's guest is Pat Flynn. And Pat, I want to give just a, I think Word on Fire did a great job kind of overviewing what Pat's all about. He's a writer, entrepreneur, and a reconverted Catholic. He focuses his efforts on helping others find happiness and wholeness through fitness, philosophy, and religion. The author of, I believe, five books, soon to be six. Also the host of his own podcast, The Pat Flynn Show, where he teaches about generalism, which is being good to great at many things rather than the best at just one. And he focuses on combining talents in a unique stack to better, to help people better understand themselves and the world. Pat, did I get that right? Hey, man, it's good enough. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I haven't looked at that that profile in a long time, so that's uh, that's 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 very nice. Uh, yeah, and if there's anything else throughout the throughout the um, episode, you just jump in and let me know. But. Anyway, uh, brother, I appreciate you agreeing to this. Uh, I look forward to hearing your testimony. I purposely didn't listen to your story. I want it to be fresh, but uh, feel free to go down all different paths and start from the beginning. Yeah, so the floor is yours. Yeah, start at the beginning. Well, I'll start at the most relevant beginning. I don't know if we want to go to the beginning. Okay. Beginning. um, That's fair. Yeah, so I was brought up in a um, very nominalist... um, not nominalist, like philosophical nominalism, like nominal Catholic, yeah. like Christer Catholic type of family, right? Church on Christmas and Easter type of deal. Most people are familiar with that, uh, or at least when the grandparents are in town. Uh, never, never had a strong formation in the faith when I was young. Never had a, you know, a, anything really more than a kindergarten level catechesis in, in anything. Um, but at the, yeah, at the same time, I, I guess I also didn't really have any friends uh, that I was growing up with that I, I spent time with that were any more religious than I was, or their family was any more religious than I was either. So I was, I was thinking back recently, Eddie, of like whether I, I would have thought I was in a Christian household growing up. And I don't know how I would have evaluated that in, in the context of the time, because I don't know if I would have um, had the idea of what a Christian household really is, at least insofar as I think I understand what that is now. So I might have said that I grew up in a Christian household, but uh, that's, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. So, um, so yeah, fast forwarding um, to, you know, so, you know, whatever, just kind of uh, grew up with your kind of like basic, you know, tenets of, of the faith, never really thought much about them, never really questioned them very much until, the, the first memory that, that I have that I feel really started to send me in a, in a new and different direction was um, it would have been around the fifth or sixth grade. I was sitting in my in, uh, science class and we were getting kind of the general outlines of, of modern cosmology and Big Bang theory, you know, as much as you would get in middle school, right? And we were hearing about the Big Bang theory and the age of the universe. And I just remember, you know, uh, 
being kind of startled by this and thinking that like none of this sounds like anything that I remember in my first grade uh, Sunday school. Like there's there's no mention of an Adam or Eve or some uh, devious snake or, or anything like that. And and I don't think I was like committed to like a sort of fundamentalist young earth creationism or anything like that. I, I don't think I had any of that even worked out. All, all I notice is that I'm hearing two different stories and they don't seem to fit together type of thing, right? Yeah. Um, now it's not like that happens and you immediately throw your hands up middle school, be like, I'm an atheist or something like that. Uh, it's just, it's just like, it's, it's a hit, you know? Um, and it starts to plant seeds of doubt and, um, it starts to send you on a certain trajectory, right? It, it starts to undermine a certain position you, you had, whether you kind of know it or not. Uh, and so, yeah, so, so for me, I think that was the beginning of a, of, of a great doubting that, uh, that, would, that would sort of develop over time. Now, you know, by the time um, I'm in high school, I'm into all sorts of things. I'm, I'm into, into writing, I'm into music, I'm into, into um, philosophy. And um, none of the things that I'm into are particularly religious or even friendly to religion at that time. Um, so, for example, I was, uh, you know, always... Uh, uh, I took a great interest in writers like Mark Twain and stuff like that. He always he always had you know some very wise and smart things to say about religion. Almost none of them none of them positive, right? Uh, there was another writer I eventually discovered. His name was H. L. Mencken. Uh, he was a he was a crusty old atheist. Um, so just just um, rammed into religion hard. Uh, very funny guy too. He's like if people know like a Christopher Hitchens, one of those new atheists, uh, they would probably like Mencken because just very witty very funny and of course you know very um very punchy which is i guess you know to a to a young male that's that's sort of attractive right in a sense the the punchiness and uh interesting enough mencken wrote i believe the first book in english um related to the philosophy of, of friedrich nietzsche uh so that kind of i guess situates him historically a little bit and he always he always quoted nietzsche it was very clear is very heavily influenced by nietzsche so that really got me, uh, kind of passed me off uh, to um, to wanting to read uh, really philosophy, like uh, in a in more of a proper sense, and uh, it kind of passed me off to this the, these uh, the school of atheists and the atheist existentialists and stuff like that, um, and so they you know they significantly colored uh, my worldview for a number of years. And um, I'll give the condensed version that we can explore any details that we want, Eddie. Um, and the condensed version is that uh, philosophically, I, I veered in a, in a very naturalistic uh, direction as I began to study philosophy, uh, you know, more formally. And um, what, what happened, and I don't, I, I've, I've come to discover this is not at all that uncommon of a story, is that the deeper I went into that worldview, the, the less sense it started to make, not, not the more sense. So initially you're attracted to it because you, you think that this is, this is what sophisticated modern minds believe. This is, this is what science tells us. Um, but I would argue that that itself is a sort of kindergarten story. And the deeper you go in to these types of worldviews, and you know, atheism is, of course, it's, it itself is a very kind of uh, wide camp of different beliefs. It's not just like one thing that's just the atheism and they all believe the same thing. There's a lot of different beliefs and uh, that come with atheism and they are beliefs, right? So don't let atheists tell you it's, I just have lack of beliefs. No, the, the atheists got many beliefs. Let me, I'll tell you all about them if you want. Um, so anyways, as I started to see where certain premises of, uh, 
uh, or certain um, starting points from these sort of um, metaphysical projects were ineluctably leading, um, it began to ineluctably lead me away <laughs> from this worldview, right? It just kept reducing to nonsense and absurdity in terms of uh, leaving no room for things. Or let me say it this way. It, it didn't so much explain the things I needed to have explained as it did try to explain them away. Things like meaning, morality, truth, identity, right? Why is there something rather than nothing, right? Um, it either didn't explain these things at all, said they could not be explained, or tried to provide some type of pseudo explanation that said, here's why we believe these things, but it, it doesn't actually correspond to reality at all. Um, this, this over time seemed wildly unacceptable to me, outrageous, self-defeating, false, absurd, the more I went into it. So it wasn't actually by like encountering or having some great religious experience or meeting great religious philosophers that I came to abandon atheism. It was actually by going deeper into atheistic worldviews and just realizing I don't, even though I don't know what is true, I'm virtually certain this isn't it, right? Um, and then giving that up, uh, at least provisionally, uh, and then deciding I need to, I need to hear some different opinions, right? So kind of, uh, wanting to go back and, uh, and, and start afresh, not like in a Cartesian way of just like doubting everything, but really wanting to go back to certain philosophers and thinkers that I had, you know, a passing familiarity with, but never, I guess, gave them much of a, of a, of an honest study. Thinkers like Plato and, and Aristotle and stuff like that. Um, so I do that and I find that there's, there's much to, to like about these thinkers. I think that uh, I find that there's, uh, not only many attractive elements, but the, the things that seem uh, very much true to me. Um, and eventually I find not just Thomas Aquinas, but the, the Thomistic tradition in general, which is just all those great thinkers who kind of have built upon the Thomistic school of thought. Sure. And um, yeah, and that pretty much sealed the deal, right? Because whatever else I, I, I uh, whatever other commitments I had at the time, I came to a point where I felt this is this is right right this is whatever like this is true philosophy right everything else i'd been doing up to this point was more or less sophistry this is this is true philosophy right it, this gets reality right in its broadest strokes and largely because it, it it kind of affirms in a technical way uh what the man in the street believes that's how chesterton described aquinas and thomism he says this is the closest you'll get is in terms of a philosophical school to what the man in the street actually believes. Doesn't mean that Thomism is easy to understand, but it will it will give you what you kind of already just know to be true anyway. So it'll help you establish that and substantiate that. Uh, so I often joke I was I was something of a Thomist before I was was a Catholic, but you can't really spend a lot of time with Aquinas uh, without becoming very curious curious about Christianity and Catholicism and stuff like that. And you know once once you you kind of aren't in an atheistic paradigm anymore. Um, the possibility of some religion being true is, is, is now a possibility. And it's something that I, I really didn't have any uh, major uh, emotional or personal objections against. So then it was just a matter of, uh, of historical investigation, right? So as, as many people do who kind of set out with a skeptical eye towards Christianity, and I mean, a skeptical eye, not in the sense of like, I'm just gonna prove this wrong because I hate it, but a skeptical eye of saying, is there anything here? they discover there's something, there really is something there, uh, a, a strong historical case to be made that's very fitting with a certain metaphysical picture of the world. That's very fitting, that's, that's very inviting, that presents itself as being extremely rationally plausible. Um, and so you come to assent to it. And not just, not just with uh, Christianity, but, but for me also 
there were core commitments of Catholicism that were extremely attractive to me. One was in terms of what the church teaches, it seems to keep getting things right metaphysically. So things that I, I think are the, the correct position in terms of philosophy of God, the church affirms things like monotheism, but even more than that, like divine simplicity, seems to get things right um, ethically in terms of a, a natural law tradition. So it's just kind of coincidental, coincidentally interesting that like there seems to be this great convergence between what the church teaches and where I think reason leads, even if the church you know can go over and above that. And then it just also seems to kind of uh, be very befitting, right? That uh, once I think once you see the implausibility of something like sola scriptura, that something like apostolic succession, tradition, and a magisterial makes a lot of sense, right? If, if God's going to reveal Himself, and if He wills a particular end, such as unity, uh, He's 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 a wise God, so He's going to will the means towards that particular end. And the means that he's going to will are going to be befitting to the types of things in consideration. And we are those things in consideration, right? And we are rational beings. We're also social beings. We're political beings. So now things like tradition and, and institutionality and hierarchy and authority, that makes a lot of sense. And then you just combine that, I think, with the Old Testament support, the New Testament support, and the, the support in the early fathers. And it's a done deal. So that's the uh, that's the that's the that's the <laughs> that's the condensed version. So we can dive into any more details as you as you like. Yeah. When from what age to what age would you say you were an atheist? Uh, so I only got confirmed uh, five four years ago, four or five years ago. So no it, was a long, it was a long journey, and and none of those were in instantaneous steps, right? Everything, yeah. I mean, so much of this is gradual, right? So even coming into an atheistic worldview was very gradual, and same thing with with coming out of it, and then even once I'm out of it, coming from a kind of I guess general uh, theistic worldview to a Christian and Catholic worldview was another sure. gradual move. Yeah. So if I were to talk to you, to the 17 year old Pat Flynn, would I have found? a staunch atheist at that point or someone that was still exploring, not ready to commit to either side. Or yeah. You would, guys, you would have found ahead. a, yeah, you would have found a stauncher atheist in like the, the, the 20, 21 year old at the 17 year old. I was probably still more, um, I would have, I would have been making fun of religion in a, sure. in a pretty superficial way. Um, yeah. but I wouldn't have been, been thinking as deeply philosophically about it. Mm -hmm. Got it. You said that the atheists hold, a broad spectrum of viewpoints. Can you go into some of those viewpoints? Having been in that, I know another gentleman I've spoken to who's a friend of yours, CV, started to delve into these different categories, but I was hoping maybe you could shed some light on that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I mean, there's there's a lot, right? Um, so uh, among, among atheists, you have your typical reductionists, like physicalists, right? Um, and uh, you know, so this would be the idea that that generally whatever else, and there's kind of different positions on this too, both ontologically, which concerns like uh, what what reality is comprised of, and then epistemologically, which is what can we know about reality. So, you know, a physicalist uh, would say, okay, whatever else reality is, it's just um, it's going to be some type of uh, simple physical fundamental stuff, and then they they vary on their commitments of what that is. Maybe maybe some people say it's just it's just it's just particles, it's just fermions and bosons or stuff like that, right? This would be kind of a hardball physicalism stuff like that. So that's that's kind of like one end, maybe kind of an extreme end. 
of a spectrum. Uh, but then, I mean, you will also have other atheists uh, that are kind of on the other end that are much closer to theists in certain respects. Like you have atheists that are, are something like Platonist, right? So it's they'll, um, they'll want to allow that, okay, uh, reality is not as reductionist as our physicalist friends say. Maybe there really are uh, formal and final causes. Maybe there's even this realm of the forms like Plato believed. Now, I've, I've never taken that position kind of seriously, um, not because I don't think that those philosophical positions are serious. I think they're very serious. I just, it, to me, it's just not interesting as a form of atheism anymore. Like, to me, you're just a, you're just a light theist, right? <laughs> Theism light. It's like, if you're going to have all these things on the table, sure. well, I would argue like, like formal causality and final causality and stuff like that. It, it, like, you really need God to make sense of all of that. And what made atheism, I think, interesting then and now is its reductionism, right? So the further I think atheists move away from a reductionist worldview, I think I think they are moving in the right direction because I think reductionism is false. But I think it's to that extent they are conceding the failure that is that is atheism generally, right? So things like uh, a, a reductionist worldview, a mechanistic worldview, a nominalist worldview, a a relativist, which is really a nihilist worldview, these are the things that I think are kind of bound up with a sort of, re, uh, yeah, a, a physicalist type of, of atheism. Mm -hmm. But there are, of course, atheists who want to hold on to morality, uh, who want to hold on to truth or even identity over time, right? If you think that the only things that exist are just fundamental particles, and Eddie, if you're not the same collection of particles uh, as you are right now, five minutes from now, well, then you're not the same person you are, right? So yeah. you you don't exist, right? Um, that's kind of a that's kind of a hard um, pill to swallow, right? Now, some people, some atheists will swallow it, and I I commend the atheists that do that because I think they're at least trying to be consistent. But for me, um, once like to me, that's just a reductio, right? So it's it's okay, that is an absurd conclusion that, that cannot be sustained, it cannot be made sense of. So rather than just kind of wallowing in absurdity, we should, we should go back to our starting point. Got and it. See if, and see if we, should, if we should change things around there. So yeah, I don't know if that totally answers your question, but yeah, there's just a whole spectrum of things that, that atheists um, will, will, will affirm or, or will deny. But I guess the point I would want to make is that as they move away from the kind of, uh, yeah, more reductionist, physicalist type of atheism, I just, I just find it far less interesting uh, as atheism or even um, why, uh, why there's still such a commitment to, to having that worldview be atheistic in the first place. Got it. Now, depending on where someone is on that spectrum, what would be the objections to your story? So you, you share your story, let's say, with anyone on that spectrum, what's a common objection? How are they going to try to take you out at the feet? Yeah, um, well, boy, that's a great question because it's just going to be so different depending on where somebody <laughs> yeah. is, right? Um, I, I could try and give a couple examples. I mean, um, I guess you're, so let me start Let me start on the other end actually because yeah. let, let's say that somebody is kind of theism light, which I called about, Uh or as I called it, and and they're actually willing to kind of like grant a metaphysical picture of the world that is like pretty similar to mine, except for like minus one thing, which is God, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think what somebody like that would say, in fact, I know what somebody like that would say, because because I've, I've, I've read what they say, is they'll yeah. say it's it's something like the problem of evil, right? It's something like it's 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 just I can't make that final step towards theism because I can't see the compatibility 
between God as the classical theist understands it and the experience of the world as evil. So we can we can talk about resolutions to that if we want, but I think that would be something that that type of atheist would say that they'd be hung up on something like the problem of evil. On the other end of the spectrum, uh, I think you're probably going to find uh, everything from well, there's just the, the stock cliche of there's no evidence for God uh, to God is a, is is not is not a useful or necessary hypothesis or um, uh, yeah, just. It, it, it could be anywhere and, and everything, right? Or science, or science has somehow disproved God or something like that. I mean, these are all kind of like kindergarten type objections, um, but they're common enough, uh, especially uh, people I think who kind of veer in more of the physicalist direction. Got it, got um, it. Um, and this is difficult for me to, I want to make sure I get the right picture that the atheists are, are trying to, bring forward as it relates to testimony in the past or evidence in the present what is it that they would respond with when you say what are you looking for when would you know that you have found something that can substantiate christianity yeah and that's something that seems to be coming up quite a bit I don't, I want to make sure that I don't misrepresent where they're coming from. Is that their position where they're saying, I'm looking for evidence and you come back and say, but what about these various areas? And they may say that's not sufficient. Well, then would you know when something comes to you and you say, now that is true? Are, are they, are they going to admit that it's super subjective and what's going to be true for them in that moment is going to certainly be different than the atheist sitting right next to them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And to be fair, I mean, atheists again, aren't just, just one, one person. Yeah, right? Exactly. So yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I just, just want to state the obvious there that, you know, even if we're saying that this Good point. is how one person may object, yep. it, might, it might not be the other. I, I want to say one thing because yeah, some, some, some will demand evidence, but then they'll, they'll set a standard where really nothing can count as, as evidence, right? They have some sort of like wackadoo epistemology or something like that. Usually it's some homegrown epistemology that, <laughs> that they, they don't, that they don't apply to anything else, right? Except yeah. for religious questions. And, you know, that's always contrived and, and, uh, I guess I just don't really waste my time when I think that that's the case uh, because I just think that it is a waste of time, right? Uh, and in the same sense, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that um, the criteria of falsifiability always has to be in place, but I think it, I go back and forth on this, right? If there's, if there's, there has to be, I think, in a conversation, some agreed upon threshold that if that could be be crossed, you would at least begin to seriously doubt the positions that you hold or, or consider another uh, uh, position. I mean, I, I'll talk about it with Catholicism. I often say like, hey, look, if there was a Vatican III and the church taught in all authority that we no longer believe the Trinity, I'd throw my hands up like, I'm out, right? Indefectibility, falsified, <laughs> right? Um, that, so, you know, like, that, you know, I don't think that could actually happen because I believe the church is indefectible, but there's a line. There's a line I can say if this sure. was crossed or if I woke up one day and I was in a world where it's just me and one burning kitten for all eternity, I would say, yeah, I don't think God exists. Right, right, right. There's a, like now people might say that's a very far threshold, but there's at least some threshold, right, that I'm willing to say this would this would do it for me. Right. And when I'm talking to, to skeptics, um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's always a really good um, thing to kind of ask, you know, what are you looking for? Or even, you know, what, what's, what's the best evidence that you've heard and why haven't you found it convincing? Or what do you think that the problem is for it? You know, I like to do metaphysics and, and that's just kind of the nerdy thing I like to do. And the truth is most people don't even know the difference between metaphysics and metamucil. So it's hard to have a conversation with just kind of your average atheist because it's just they just have no familiarity with like what a metaphysical demonstration is or when we start talking about the distinction between act and potency or essence and existence so unless somebody's like really willing to sit down and spend some time with you yeah these aren't really internet they're not just they're just not amenable to internet conversations um but that's that's what led me in so that's what i like to talk about and i think that's what's most demonstrable uh, or demonstrative at least of of god's existence now other people have you know other arguments and they say well, well look the universe appears fine-tuned doesn't that seem suggestive of an of a transcendent intelligence and it seems like the universe had a beginning and yeah i know people love their multiverse theory but that always uh, strikes me as exceedingly problematic for many ways and it seems like we have all sorts of uh irreducible complexity at, at various uh phases of life and that and that the, the, the typical naturalist solution really cannot adequately account for this at all so you know to me um i think maybe just just sometimes just conversationally i think it, it helps just to give like a cumulative case and say look i don't know what would convince you but here's what convinced me i think god is the best explanation for why any contingent thing exists and not uh, nothing instead of why the universe began to exist, of why the universe appears finely tuned for the emergence of intelligent interactive life, of the irreducibly complex systems we find in biology, for the historical evidence surrounding the life, death, and, and alleged resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, for the endurance and alleged you know, indefectibility of the Catholic Church, for various miracle accounts, you know, especially stuff like, like Fatima, uh, for our experience of morality as being objective and binding, uh, for near-death experiences, mystical experiences, religious experiences, all that type of stuff is just the sort of stuff I would expect if God exists. And it's not at all any of the stuff that I would expect if God does not exist, right? So even if we just want to make an, uh, it ab like an inference to the best explanation, it seems like theism has uh, enormous advantages in terms of explanatory power, scope, depth, and it's it's a simple hypothesis, right? God is as simple as it gets. It's absolutely simple reality, right? And just one. Uh, and uh, it's it's certainly not uh, contrived. It's a very traditional belief. It's a very natural belief people have. And so maybe something like that uh, can can help. And then people can kind of maybe try and pick it apart from there. It's hard to say without an example of like one particular person in mind. Because I, I know I know yeah. the I know what you're talking about, Eddie. I've encountered that game where people will just kind of arbitrarily dial up the skepticism just just to dial up the skepticism right and normally the dial isn't that high in other areas of life but when it comes to conversations around religion or god suddenly suddenly they, they spinal tap it right they go all the way uh, to level 11 and then it's just just nothing counts as evidence like by definition so then it's like well, well i was just course. gonna say if you did ask that question what is the threshold they may say if i answer this in any way he's gonna corner me so they might just veer off and just not play. They right. might think that you're playing a game by asking that question. Right. And that's the problem. Like, this is why I'm really not interested in, and I resist the term of being an apologist or something like that, even though I, I write for apologetics websites and stuff like that, because I, I'm interested in conversations, but uh, I, I'm not interested in people thinking we're playing a game of cat and mouse because it tends to not be very 
uh, productive. Yeah. And um, the other thing I wanted to say, which just shot out of my mind, remind me of what you said. <laughs> you made a good point, and I wanted to I wanted to jam on it. It was about uh, um, if you ask them at, at what threshold of evidence would you say, okay, this is plausible. I will consider it further. But if they answer oh, right, that, right. yeah. Right, yeah, this is where I find some atheists really refreshing. There's, there's a, an interview I was watching not too long ago with an atheist who I actually find very funny. Maybe it's just because of his accent. His name's Peter Atkins. And um, he was having a conversation and, and his interlocutor essentially asked this question, uh, or maybe it was a radio host, I forget who said, you know, what would convince you? Like, what could convince you that God exists? Would it be him appearing to you or anything like that? He said, nothing. He said, nothing could convince me. He's like, I think I would just going, just going mad something like that and i'm like at least he's being <laughs> yeah. honest right like like thank you right um you know like i don't know where to take the conversation after that i honestly have no idea but at least this man is just well, like you said <laughs> earlier if something's absurd at least you are consistent following that all the way through mm -hmm. right <laughs> even though that's right um, and i i just i and i can't even imagine that like that you could you could be in a position where you are are so convinced that nothing, nothing could possibly um, start to cause you to to question that you could be wrong on this. I, I don't know. I've, I guess I've never had that high um, of a degree of, of confidence in, in anything that I just don't even know well, what that what it's like to be in that position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've heard that on the Protestant side. I don't know if it's been as direct as that, but it's implied. There's really nothing that could convince me. Mm -hmm. of the truth of the catholic church and then there are some protestants that say you convince me on the papacy i'm in yeah everything else because they'll use that as kind of this such a large pillar that everything falls in and that's like okay i trust it all mm -hmm. others obviously say if this 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 and this are true <laughs> then i'll consider it but i have heard that implication that there's basically nothing that you could tell me now right. I just wonder how much of that is related to childhood. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We'll find out over time. I'm going to hear more and more stories. So we'll see. Um, I think you answered this question, but why not Eastern Orthodoxy? Why right back to Catholicism? Because you mentioned Sola Scriptura. So that right. clears out a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but what about Eastern Orthodoxy? Because I think just moving solo scriptura to councils invites just the same problems, right? Um, you know, for again, a lot of this is philosophical for me. So, yeah. um, a good friend of mine, Swan Sona, has done tremendous work on the Jewish roots of, of the papacy. Just, just tremendous, just tremendous work. So, I think that that and and Brant Petrie's work on that is is really yes. good to see. You know, you have the high court of moses the seat of moses and it really does seem like christ established a you know a supreme successional uh, petrine office right and that sure. we have the old testament support there we have the typology so typology was a big thing for me uh seeing the, here. the typo yeah. typological roots of, of the eucharist of mary and the papacy like all these things really fit together and then it seems at least unbefitting to me that we would have a radical departure from from any of these right um so again, Catholicism seems to best accumulate all the data that I think needs to be accumulated. I think it's also just kind of an epistemological matter, right? It's like it, it, exactly what I said before. Like if God is going to reveal something uh, to us, he's probably going to give us the means to understand what we need to understand uh, to be saved, right? 
um, weeding through the historical weeds of the church and councils is not an easy thing to do, right? Um, it's certain, certainly like no easier than, uh, and in many ways, maybe more difficult than trying to just um, take the Bible by yourself, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, so, like it, this, this seems to me just to be enormously problematic, right? Uh, but having a magisterium, having an infallible teaching authority that can uh, teach us what we need to teach, that can settle disputes, right? Uh, having a chief executive, right, which is how we kind of naturally organize anyways, right? There usually tends to have to be somebody where, okay, the buck stops here, or if there needs to be a tiebreaker, we can do that. Um, so, you know, I guess, I, I guess, you know, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because people could see it one and two ways. Um, people could see institutionality kind of like from the American libertarian perspective of just this being this uh, oppressive thing, right? I see it as being a natural thing. Yeah. Um, and being a natural thing, uh, again, God works with us according to the types of beings that we are. We tend towards organization, political authority, and institutions anyways. If you got the Old Testament roots, you got the you got the support support historically. I would not make the argue that you can get a 100% decisive proof of Catholicism just by looking at early church history, for example. But I think you have support, and then in relation to those other other considerations, especially the philosophical and epistemological ones, yeah, it was it was it was it was either like Catholicism or. I don't know, like a, like a broad Neoplatonism, but no other, no, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, you know, if, if Catholicism were falsified for me, I don't think I would become Eastern Orthodox or even got it, maybe got Protestant. It. If no, I'm not being so honest, thank perfectly you honest, right? Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then also uh, what we're seeing now and throughout history, if there are any abuses within the church or any institution, then there becomes like this, that's like the floodgates open. Now it's my turn because someone got it wrong. Let me go back to those. Let me go back to the source. Where did this abuse originate? And now let me reinterpret those documents. Let me reinterpret those councils. Let me reinterpret the Bible. I'm not gonna call it that. I'm gonna say the Holy Spirit is guiding me. Yeah. But that's essentially what it is. It's, it's, it's a recurrence of the Reformation in many areas of life right now. Someone falters, well, that is an indication that the thing is wrong. I've got the answer, not realizing, or maybe realizing that it's just going to cause so much more division. But it just continues over and over and over again. I wanted to ask you about um, your evangelization focus do you find that it's just mostly going to be dialoguing with atheists or are you also finding a lot of uh dialogue with protestants of different denominations yeah i i dialogue with everybody so you've, you know on my podcasts i've i've had um pretty much the entire span um and uh what I have to admit, you know, my uh, my content is is it tends to be very selfish. I like to talk about the things that I'm interested. Oh, in, sure, right? Um, and that just attracts people from 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 all over, right? Uh, so I, I do talk a lot of metaphysics on my podcast, and that tends to invite uh, atheists. And and it tends and the types of atheists that, that invites tend tend to be a bit more of a highbrow. <laughs> okay, sure. Than, uh, atheists that, that are seriously interested in, in in kind of going into the details and. And atheists that, and this is important, right? Because kind of on the more professional level, right? When you look at philosophers, religion, and stuff like that, 
um, almost none of them, I don't even think if I can think of, of one of them, uh, would, would say that being a theist is like unreasonable or something like that. Uh, you know, almost all of them see it as a very reasonable position. They might have the reasons why they don't accept it themselves, but it's, it's just very different in terms of content and tone than the kind of screechy, petulant YouTube yeah. atheism. Yeah, right? you're going to get less of the comments about unicorns in that type spaghetti, of environment. Spaghetti ball spaghetti monsters monster. and yeah. all that stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, so like, I, I try to prod those types of atheists. It's like, look, if you're going to be an atheist, at least try to be a good one, right? Yeah. Like, re read these atheists, not those atheists, right? Sure. Like, let, me, let me help you with your atheism, at least. Um, so yeah, no, so very, very good uh, dialogue with the, those, those types uh, that, that I attract have had excellent dialogues with uh, numerous, numerous Protestants and stuff like that, uh, because I do, um, we do a fair amount of, uh, I mean, I had like, I think like close to a three and a half hour conversation with the fellow I mentioned, Swansona yeah. on the, on the Jewish roots of, uh, of the, of the papacy and the biblical case for the papacy and stuff like that. So that, that attracts uh, people from, from all over. And I'm, yeah so i don't know if that answers your question but it does it does it does mm -hmm. and then also so you focus on the term generalism right that was related to what you do in the realm of fitness i'm assuming that ties to everything you do i was hoping you could speak to that a little bit yeah so um there was i guess a whole nother part of the story that i guess got um gloss over because it wasn't especially relevant so even though kind of my i guess my formal academic backgrounds in philosophy and economics when i was going to college um long story short i, I grew up very unathletic very overweight stuff like that right so in, in high school i got into taekwondo started getting in shape got very interested in in, in fitness and then when I got into college, I got interested in these, these things called kettlebells, if you ever seen them, right? Like Absolutely. Handle, right? Yep. Uh, so as I'm going through college, I'm like teaching kettlebells and, tra and training people to kind of pay the bills and, and stuff like this. And uh, I had a blog at the time. And, you know, even, even back then, I kind of blogged about everything. But the stuff that people took the most interest in, in was, the, was the fitness stuff. And, um, and yeah, long story short, that sort of just became my career uh, was just writing. Uh, and particularly uh, my first couple of books were, were fitness books. So, uh, it was always something that was a deep, uh, passion of mine. And, um, uh, I, I still do it. I still do it, do a ton of it, even though my, my next book is not fitness related. I, I still produce fitness content, um, quite frequently. So the whole idea of generalism came about because, um, a couple of years ago, um, somebody kind of, kind of asked me like, Hey, you know, um, it's funny. I was just I was just talking about this to somebody else. Um, somebody sent me an email that like, could kind of been it could have easily been read as being insulting, uh, but I don't think it was meant to be because it was like, "Hey Pat, how did you make a career and how did you start a business that seems to be successful in the fitness industry when like you're clearly not like the biggest, strongest, leanest guy around, right?" And like, look, nobody's nobody's fooled. They're like Pat Flynn clearly isn't that, right? <laughs> Try to stay in good shape, but like I'm not. Nobody's confusing me with like Schwarzenegger or something like that. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that invited me to really, to really think on that. Like, why, why is it? Because there's a lot of guys who are bigger, leaner, stronger than me who have like tried to build businesses and, and like, you know, I guess make it in the, in a fitness uh, career as entrepreneurs and, and they haven't. And the best answer I could come up with is, is it's because fitness isn't the only thing I care about. I've got training and I've got skills in other areas. 
like writing, like philosophy, like marketing. I've spent a lot of time just studying the ins and outs of, of copywriting and persuasion and internet marketing and stuff like that. And it was being able to be a generalist where I combined different skills and these different skills in combination seem to be more powerful than just uh, going deeper uh, in any one area in isolation, like just trying to get the biceps bigger or something like that, right? Um, so yeah, the, the, that that eventually turned into a book. Uh, it was published in 2019. Um, the one that the one you mentioned uh, of of this idea of of becoming a generalist, of of trying to build a stack of skills that you could that you could well literally stack to form different competitive and creative advantages in life. And yeah, that's Excellent. that. That's yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that relates to anything else we previously talked about. No, but no, no. There no. It is. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but I no, was that's good. Yeah, about that, I was curious. And then um, I think something that also matters to a lot of people that listen to these to these episodes. Since being confirmed four years ago, can you talk about your experience in the church, receiving the sacraments, those that are available to you, and also church life and. Yep. I know there's even one more question involved in that, and that is speaking to people that may be reluctant to join the church given various crises. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lots to say on that. Um, so first off, my wife is a convert as well. So maybe we should we should connect to you guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and she was she was not baptized. She was not brought up in a religious household at all. And as and she'll often lament of how she was kind of vaguely spiritual, but not religious. But then I kind of pulled her into atheism when we first met. And then I kind of like came out of atheism. She's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Um, so anyways, um, just to give a little bit more background about that, I, I you know, I, I, I talked to her one time and, and essentially like I had been thinking about Christianity for a while, but I, I knew my wife had, uh, she, she wasn't exactly um, friendly towards the idea of Christianity, let's say so. I, I broached the subject of saying, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I think that there might be more to it than, than we previously considered. And she's like, begrudgingly, like, all right, I'll hear what you have to say, but no way in hell am I ever becoming <laughs> Catholic, were her words. No way in hell am I ever becoming Catholic. Wow. Uh, so she was baptized and confirmed. She was confirmed, what, two, three years ago? So she is Catholic now. Wow. So that, didn't, that didn't last very long. Uh, but she had a, a very much independent journey uh, of mine. So even though we kind of, you know, we came and we, we talked and had discussions, she, she really had her own, her own uh, process of discovery. It wasn't just following her husband into the church by any means. Um, so that was, that was part, because you asked about my experience in the church. So, I mean, that was, that was a, a big thing for me, right? So I'm, I'm married, I had, I had kids and I knew like, if I'm going to make this sort of dramatic world shift, like. I've got a family, right? I got I got to think about all this. So by God's grace, it all that all worked out, and we got uh, our marriage blessed. We got all the kids baptized, Beautiful. and all just all brought in into the church. Uh, so church life, you know, I, I know there's a lot of you know bad stories out there, but by and large, it's been. Um, it's been a blessing, right? Where we have, um, we're at a beautiful parish, um, uh, incredible priest. Uh, we, we love it. We're deeply grateful for it. Uh, so I just, I don't, I, I don't have, fortunately, any bad, <laughs> fortunately, I don't have any bad stories, right? Uh, but that also, you know, no, um, uh, so then I'm sorry, what were your, your other, other two questions? No, oh, I was yeah, just the, saying, the crisis. Yeah, yeah, crises, yeah. 
Right. So, I mean, here's, here's the, the thing I'll, I'll say about that. And I know that there's, there's people who, who struggle with this on many levels and it's understandable why they do. It's very understandable. In fact, my wife, this is one of her biggest objections, right? Is like, look, the church is filled with scandal and all the sexual scandal and we've got kids and sure. everybody, everybody knows that. Right. Um, so, I mean, the first thing you got to do is you, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself, okay, could it, could it be the case that Catholicism is true? Um, even admitting the the horrendousness of these scandals, right? That's the first, you have to make that distinction in your mind first, right? Do these scandals disprove Catholicism? That's really the question, right? And that was always the question for me. It's like, no doubt these scandals are horrendous, right? They're, nobody, nobody should ever deny that. But do they refute Catholicism? And I think the answer there is no, they don't, because the church doesn't claim impeccability. That doesn't mean we should be happy about it. Exactly. It doesn't mean we shouldn't, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything about it, but it, 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 it doesn't mean that Catholicism is false. So you have to, and this is hard to do, because again, like these things hit us where it really hurts. But this is, I guess, I guess philosophers are kind of like notorious for this, right? It's like sometimes it can be very cold and abstract, but that's like we're after the truth of things, right? So we have to make these, these distinctions. And the church teaches indefectibility, but it does not promise impeccability among its members, even, even its, its highest members, right? Um, so there's always, been, there's always been evil people in the church, and, and uh, that's, that's a deeply unfortunate thing. But there's evil people in all of Christianity, right? And, and I don't think even Protestants would want to say that any of their scandals refute Christianity as a whole. So with those distinctions in place, um, I, I, I don't think, and as long as you can make those distinctions, which you can, I don't think that that needs to be or should be a holdup from somebody entering the church, right? But it's very hard to get people to see those it distinctions is. and i under, and yeah. i understand that right um and um it was it was hard for for my wife to see that but but she did see it eventually and then and then she realized okay i, I get that this that this this could be the case that you have these horrendous scandals that you have a whole history of horrendous scandals it's not like a new thing we have a new particular uh, and especially pernicious type of evil that has gone on in the past couple of decades but there's always been scandals and horrendous happenings in christian history um but you know what? It still seems like this is true. And because it's true, I'm going to assent to it and I'm going to become Catholic. Um, and then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do what I can to fight these scandals and clean up the mess as a Catholic, right? From, from the inside. Inside out, yeah. From the inside out. So, I mean, that's the general response, but I think that's also the right response. Um, I think that that's, I think that's true. Now, here's the other thing I'll say about that. It's like the problem of evil. I think the correct response to a lot of these these difficult questions is correct, but it's often not emotionally satisfying, right? Um, and uh, so, so, so especially when it hits home, if it's something right. that happened to you personally or a family member, then that is going to be a, a more difficult transition, no doubt. Right. You know, it's it's like if you're dealing with the problem of evil, and yes, you can give all these philosophical defenses to show yeah. that that evil and God are not incompatible. But that's that's like kind of wildly inappropriate to do if somebody's like dying of cancer, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I think something similar here, right, is 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 knowing when to help people draw those distinctions and knowing when you just need to just kind of like listen to somebody. But, you know what yes. I mean? Oh, I hear you. I hear you. I like to focus on. I preface it by saying, in no way does this dismiss the sins, but especially in dialogue with Protestants, if I say, just look at, just observe statistically 
if you have a group under one roof and it's a billion people, I've said this many times, and statistically, what percentage of those people are committing heinous crimes? There's no right answer to that. My point is to get someone to think about it. Now, take a local congregation of 500 or 1,000 people. You can't compare. It seems like people like to compare those two things. Can you hear? Can you imagine the thousands of people that are involved over here? Well, statistically, what's happening in your local congregation? By the same, using the same uh, ratio, if one clergy member commits a heinous crime, it's the equivalent. But right. it helps some people just simply get yeah. out of that mindset where you're just going to say sin equals no truth, because that clearly is illogical. And it's not it's not what Christianity teaches. Not at right. all. It's no, not. How could Christianity mean anything? <laughs> If there right. wasn't sin to be weeded out in the first place. Right. And, and not only that, um, and, you know, I, I always hedge against like getting uh, towards statistical comparisons, right? Sure. Because because uh, it misses the bigger point, which I think was already made. And once that, that point is made, I think it's kind of a, the, 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 the issue is resolved intellectually. Sure. But I will say I will say this, like we have a recent example, right, where Protestants essentially say the same things as Catholics, right? You had this big scandal break of Ravi Zacharias. Right, very well-known Protestant apologist, apologist. Yeah. and I won't go into details, but it seems like a pretty horrific scandal broke out, and people who followed Ravi were crushed by it and disappointed. But what did they say? His sins do not invalidate the the truth of what he was teaching. Correct Christianity, right? So if you think that's legitimate over there, then you shouldn't think that it's any less legitimate when a Catholic says it as well, right? Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Um, is there anything else you want to add regarding what you're working on, what you want viewers to know? Where can everyone learn more about what you're up to? Sure. Yeah. Well, my podcast is called The Pat Flynn Show, the humbly and originally named Pat Flynn Show. So we do um, <laughs> usually like one philosophy episode a week, one theology episode a week. Uh, I've got, you mentioned I, I write for Word on Fire. Um, so I've got some articles there people might like. I, I write for Catholic Answers. I've got some articles there. I actually got a recent one on the problem deal. So if okay. you want to see how. I'll add that to the description. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, other than that, just, just working on, on this book. And um, what's your website? Chroniclesofstrength.com. Okay. Yeah. So Perfect. That's, that's where you can find me. Well, it's been fun brother i appreciate it you're um you've got quite the intellect there buddy. i gotta give you that compliment i uh was struggling to keep up with you but i've got a lot to learn myself so um, it has been a pleasure thank you so much for having me on eddie this has been a joy mm -hmm. yeah well we'll we'll connect with uh, cv down the road here and i know that we want to do something where we can go even further into the atheist paradigm i can't speak to that as much but I can bring some perspective on the, the difficulty of a reversion. So I think we'll, we'll look forward to that in the coming weeks. So sounds great. Looking forward excellent. to it. Everyone, thank you for listening and for watching. Until next time, take care and God bless.